0: It's good to be together today, one big family across Hillview and Contour. Um, it's good to be together. This has been, uh, as Scott's mentioned, this has been a difficult week for many in our community of faith, not least the Taylor family, but certainly not only the Taylor family. There's so many hard things going on uh, among us here in this family, but also in the world, that it can sometimes feel a little overwhelming. I don't know if you can relate to that, Um, but I at points have certainly felt a little overwhelmed uh, this week. I I got into my study early this morning over there, uh, and uh, I've been listening to worship music on my way in. I've been hearing all these amazing words of worship and trust and uh, acknowledging the character of God and how he's enough for us, even in, in difficult times. And as I was listening to those words, I was just thinking of many of the struggles uh, that many are, are, so many are going through. And I was just driving just in that tension of God is good and God is who he says he is. But man, this is challenging and difficult to, to understate it. And then I turned on the laptop once I got into my, my study over there and read some shocking reports and, and, and individual stories of some of what is happening to the Kurdish people in northern Syria. And I looked out my window at the, the beautiful stillness of that area over there and the, the dew across the grass and the, 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 the rising sun brightening up the sky. And then I saw a Bible verse on a, a website that I had open, which was Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Just thinking of this great God of ours who made this beautiful world. And then I received some really difficult WhatsApps from different people around the world, from friends deep in need. And then I began to just see people walking their dog and just going about their normal day-to-day life and how kind of happy and at peace many of them looked. And, And that's maybe like some of us here, you know, maybe... Maybe you came here this morning and actually for you life's been been going great. Well I want you to know you're welcome too. You know we, we 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 welcome the brokenhearted and the needy, but if you've just had a brilliant week, we're really glad that you're you're here and part of this 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 moment as well. But this is this is where we live our lives in this place of conflicting realities they feel conflicting and they feel they feel like that in our hearts and it can get a little overwhelming to know how do you live in that space there is so much going on in our world that could cause us to be fearful are you fearful this morning I love that together, in this church, in this moment, I love that we can acknowledge the reality that that's a danger for us. I was speaking, at we had a new to Hillview lunch last week, there was a really good turnout there, it was a brilliant time, and I was sharing about how we desire in this church to be honest and real about these sorts of moments, these sorts of tough times in our church. We absolutely must be people who weep with those who weep. We must make space for quiet and space for lament in our church. We must find that space where we can feel the beauty and the power of just wordless burden bearing that we can do among one another, whether that's expressed through a hug offered or a meal delivered, but however it is, just that sense of showing love love for one another. We don't sweep pain under the carpet. But the reason that we so often should acknowledge those realities of life is not just so that we would wallow in that reality, not that we would wallow in that, not to stay in that place. It's not even only so that we can lament and weep together tried to make clear that's important, but it's not only about that. The reason we don't sweep pain under the carpet is so that we can remind ourselves with sensitivity at the right time, in the right tone, we remind each other that we need not live in fear. You don't, have to be afraid today. And I say that with great solemnity. I say it cautiously. I say it respectfully with a degree of trembling because I know what some in this family of faith are going through and because I don't know what some of you might be going through by the time we get together this time next week. we have to hold on to this reality that there is good news today. There is hope today. Yes, there is. We do not need to live in fear no matter what it is that we might be facing. And I say that not in some mode of wishful thinking, not some sort of glass half full, positive thinking optimism, but I say that to you on the authority of God's word to us today, this passage. I'm going to read this passage, so we're, going to, we're in Romans chapter 8, today we're just going to pick up, and we've been reading from verse 1 every week, but today we're just going to pick up from verse 14. And it starts with this little word for, so it's flowing on from verse 13 before. Paul is continuing to show us what true life looks like, life from God, life in God, what this looks like. So the last part of verse 13, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then let's continue. This is God's word to us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Amen. So we are thinking in this series about who the Holy Spirit is and about what he does in our lives. And we've just been considering these most glorious, wonderful realities of the work of the Holy Spirit. And today is no different. In this passage, in these verses, we hear... That the Holy Spirit confirms to us that the Holy Spirit confirms in us that we are children of God. That's awesome. Now, who do I mean by we? We've got to be clear about this. We've been showing that Paul makes very clear that some live according to the flesh, some live according to the Spirit. So we better understand who am I talking about when I say we can be the Holy Spirit Brings this reality to, to light in our lives that we can be children of God. Well, verse 14 makes it plain for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God of God. Now, when Paul speaks there about those who are led by the Spirit, he's not talking about those people who are particularly good at any particular moment of life and understanding how God's leading me. Is God telling me, to go, that parking space or that parking space? And there are some who really have that connection to God, and they feel God direct them in that way, and that's awesome. That's you. Brilliant. We need more people like that in this church, right? That's not what Paul's speaking about here. What he means by all who are led by the Spirit of God is that sense of your whole life being taken over by God's leading uh, and by God's direction. It's what we've already been looking at in this chapter. So, we've been talking about those who live according to the Spirit, those who walk according to the Spirit, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And now, here in verse 14, we have another way to frame that, that it is those who are led by the Spirit. Which is to say, when, I, when I'm speaking about those who are children of God, we're talking here about any Christian. Anyone who would come and live under, as verse 2 puts it, the the law uh, of the spirit of life, who has set us free from that old way, the law of sin and death. So this is all God's grace. Anyone who would come to Christ in this way, even here today, and embrace all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done, anyone can know that reality, even just now, in these moments that we have together, in your heart, responding to God, giving your your yes to God as he shares his love with you. Paul's saying in verse 14, all those people who are alive in Jesus, who have the presence of the Holy Spirit inside them, they are, to use the language of verse 14, sons of God. Now, I just want to comment on this language, this language of sons, uh, because maybe you're thinking, ah, uh, I ain't no son. Martin, maybe half of us or so might be thinking that you might be going, I'm a daughter, not a son, thank you very much, and I'd like you to get that right. Well, that's true. If you're a Christian and you're a female, you are indeed a daughter of the living God. So what is Paul doing here? We, we, know, that, we know that this is not just about males, because in verse 14 and 15, Paul uses this language of sons, but then in verses 16 and 17, he doesn't speak about sons of God. He speaks about us being children of God. So so don't, don't fear, women, you are included. We're talking about children of God today, but, but Paul's doing something precious and wonderful in this language of using sons. There's three things that I, that I at least want to share with you today. First of all, he's drawing a connection back to God's covenant with Israel. Israel is repeatedly in the Old Testament described as the son of God, the firstborn son of God. And, and just as Israel was led by God again and again, or, or led back by God to the place of God's blessing, so now verse 14 is saying that, All who are led by the Spirit of God can count themselves sons of God. That is caught up in this beautiful, bigger story of God's salvation history. And that's a huge focus that Paul does in the rest of the the letter to the Romans. He wants to tie in who are God's new covenant people as they relate to Israel. So that's one thing Paul's doing when he says you're sons of God. Another thing he's doing is rooting our identity firmly in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, not like any other. And now, through the Spirit, because of Jesus' victory, we are, again as it puts it in verse 2, we are free in Christ Jesus. We're free in Christ. So Paul's using son here to remind us that just like Jesus is the son of God, so we, as we're caught up in Christ, we are sons of God. And then finally, he's helping his readers understand this reality by tying it to the very widely understood adoption process of that day. So in verse 15, when it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, those three words, adoption as sons, in Greek, that is one word, and it refers to a specific Roman legal reality. Not just the act of bringing a child into a family, but that in that process that that, that, that child would have on it conferred all the status of sonship, the legal rights that come with sonship, the, the privileges that would come to a son, but not, sadly, in that culture. To a daughter, so, so Paul definitely goes on to make clear this is for women too. We're talking about being children of God, but in using this language of sons, it is so rich. There's, there's one allusion for Jewish readers uh, where they would say, "Wow, just like Israel is God's son, so now I am part of that story." There's there's one allusion for Roman readers, "Wow, from from slavery." to sonship, and all the amazing blessings that that carries with it, all the the rights and legal standing and privileges. And then there is one incredible reality for everyone to hold onto, that Jesus is the Son of God, full of power and love and obedience, and glory, and authority. Jesus, who is in perfect relationship with the Father. Jesus, who is indeed perfectly satisfying to the Father. And now Paul is saying, you too can be included in that reality. And he'll go on to say a bit more about that as we'll see. And my friends, this reality that we are or we can be children of God means we need not fear. Why? Well, there's a past and a present and a future tense reality to this wonderful blessing. We're going to look at them each in turn. So, past tense, let's read verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. How? How is it that this happens to us? For, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It happens because we have received something. It is through the Holy Spirit that this act of us becoming adopted as sons happens. That reality of us being brought into God's family where sonship is bestowed on us, that happens through the Holy Spirit, on the basis, as we've been seeing again and again, on the basis of Jesus' finished work. But the thing I want us to see just now is the past tense reality of this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. How do you know you're a child of God? One way is you can look back and know I received something. It was a gift, like you receive it. I didn't earn it. It wasn't contingent on my performance then, so I know it isn't now. I received something in days gone by. You say, well, when? How far back are we talking? To which I would say, how much time have you got? Because you could just look again and again at so many ways at this past tense reality of the salvation of God's people is seen in the Bible, but don't worry, I'm only going to mention three. Starting in the distant past and moving forward. And by, by, by the distant past, I mean uh, before time began. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll see this reality of this receiving of adoption as sons. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, this great God, he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Exact same word as Romans 8, one of five times it's used in the New Testament. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And on Paul goes in this wonderful pouring out of praise. You are chosen. By God, for any who will come to Him today, you're chosen by God. Before the world even existed, God had you in mind. He had you in mind. I mean, too often we only think about this individual reality, we, we neglect the fact that we are together, the people of God. But for now, for now, I want you to know that you, as an individual, were chosen by God before the foundation of the world even existed. And he had planned and he had purposed you for this work of adopting you into his family. You can stand secure in that this morning and this week. Why? Because, first of all, it is outside of you. It's not rooted in you. This is rooted in God's love, in God's wisdom, in God's power, and in in God's plan for his love to overflow over the the millennia of the world that he would create. You can stand secure in that because of that. And secondly, you can stand secure because of the blessing that this is. To know and to accept and for the reality to dawn on us that we are chosen. Chosen by god is such a beautiful thing we can all relate to the reality in our lives at various points of either being chosen or being rejected or being passed over whether we're talking about the picking of school teams in the playground and being the last picked, anyone testify along with me that you were the last picked more often than not, whether it's that, and we, we, we smile, but remember the, the heart ache of that sometimes, right? or whether it's being part of the group of friends that you would love to be part of or, or not being allowed to be part of that group of friends, whether it's the job that you went for and did or didn't get, or the promotion that you were. Put forward for or passed over for, or whether it's the relationship that you so desperately desire that, that has come and you know that reality of being chosen or that has yet to come in different ways to varying degrees. We all know the pain that comes from being rejected, from being passed over. And, and I hope also, to some degree, at least, we know the sense of joy that comes when someone chooses you for something, seeks you out, has a plan for you, because you're just the right person for that. I want you to know you can stand secure today in knowing that God has chosen you. If, if you come to him, it's because that's what's happened God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What a blessing that is. Nothing can change that. Nothing. No world event can change that. No. Shopping center attack, no war that we might get embroiled in, no confusion that we might end up in in this country. No personal trauma can change that, nor any reality that you're facing just now can come against the choice of sovereign and almighty and all powerful God over your life to bring you into that place of adoption into his family. You can look back to before the foundation of the world, or you can look back, secondly, to the cross. You can look back to the cross. One of the huge blessings of Christianity is that it is rooted not in a philosophy of thought which might come or go at various times of history, but Christianity is rooted in a historical event, namely the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the adoption that we have received into the family of God is only possible, and indeed it is possible, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And we can stand secure in that. We're going to see this as we get towards the end of Romans chapter 8, but just let me jump ahead for a little bit and read. Look at verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things, the struggles of life, the groaning of creation? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Do you ever feel that that, that accusatory voice of the devil? You've blown it again. Well, listen to God's word. Who shall bring any charge against God elect against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So how do you know you don't need to fear? How do you know that you stand secure in the family of God? You look back before the foundation of the world, God chose me. You look back to the cross. In light of the cross, no one's bringing any charge against me. Jesus died for me. Nothing's taken me from God's family because I'm not there on my own right. I'm there because of what Jesus has done. And then finally, you can look back to when you first became alive in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 speaks of this reality of receiving Jesus. To those who received me, to those who, to those who received the word, to those who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, that is, that he is all that he says he is, he gave the right, God gave the right To be called children of God. Now it doesn't matter if you don't know exactly the date that that happened. Some of us do and some of us don't. But but the, the blessing here, the point here, is that there is something we can point back to. We can remember a time where we know, yeah, I have. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But I have received Jesus. Maybe even now you know that in your heart. Today I've received him. I've believed that he is who he says he is. So I know God then, because of that, has given me the right to be a child of God. Regardless of how we're feeling today, regardless of the storms of life that we're facing today, we can look back and celebrate this reality which is currently ours. Verse 15. Why? You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And now here's this present tense reality by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness now, today, with our spirit that we are children of God. We've received something which now we're hearing stirs something in us. Two wonderful realities, at least many more, but here there's two. First, there is a cry that rises up in us. Do you see it's through the Spirit? We've received the Spirit of Adoptions by whom we cry. God enables this cry of Abba, Father. This is the very cry of of the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane as he looked towards the cross, as he cried out to God before he went to the cross. And this is what God does in the hearts and the lives of those who are truly his children. Do you see, this is real. This is intimacy. This is connectedness, heartfelt connectedness to God now. There's, there's hope in this moment because I can pray to God like this. This is way beyond arm's length religiosity. This is way beyond knowing certain things. This is, there's this deep sense of crying out to God. There's an intensity and a depth of feeling here that comes through this. Listen to, the, listen to the hope that this brought the great church reformer, Martin Luther. As he, he wrote on this little cry of the heart, Abba, Father. It was in his commentary. It's in, it's this phrase also repeated in Galatians chapter four. But he, on, the, on these words, he says, Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side, And seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from thy presence. Yet am I thy child, and thou art my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. Wherefore this little word, Father, conceived effectually in the heart, passeth all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. We can cry out to God this morning with the same intimacy that Jesus did. And we can do that today. It might not change our circumstances, but it changes everything in the present We get to pray the same way that Jesus did. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. You're safe, you're His. You can rest in that. You can cry out to God in that. And also look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As the Holy Spirit enables this cry, Abba, Father, to rise up in us, He does something else to now in the present for whatever you are facing. He speaks to us deep In the core of who we are, he testifies. He bears witness. The Spirit of God whispers to us You're safe. You're not alone. You're mine. You're God's child. Hear that now. Hear the testimony of the Spirit. Hear that this week. So, deep blessing of God for all his children rooted in his choice before creation and the finished work of Christ, enabling in us today that honest cry of intimate prayer, casting ourselves on our only hope, this great God of ours, our Father in heaven, who we can cry out to, know now the assurance that we're his. But to truly be free from fear today, we need to know what's coming We need to know what's ahead. What God has done in the past brings about this beautiful relationship with God that I hope you know right now, but the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. There is great beauty in resting with God in the place of pain and peace. That's what I called it when when my mom died. I said it felt like there was a fog or a cloud of pain and peace. There is beauty in that for whatever struggles you're just facing just now, but the story's not over yet. As a parent, if my kids are are hurting or are scared or are crying, I, I might remind them of what's gone before. I might remind them of the fundamental reality that they can cling to. I might say something like you know I'll always be here for you because I'm your father. That that's that's who I am. You're safe because you're my child and I'm your father. Or I might point to something that's going on in this moment what that means for now. I'm I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you. You can cry out to me. You can rest secure in my love, even now, with all that you have going on. But I don't want it to stop there. More than any of that, I want to be able to say, what? Well, what's the phrase that we say? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. You see, if this world is all there is. We can't always say that. There are some circumstances where you know some a particular thing is going to be okay. But there, are the biggest challenges we face, the biggest enemies we face, the biggest struggles that we face, if this world is all there is, on what authority could someone say it's getting better? Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Doctors, politicians, parents, as much as we thank God for these people. Social media, you may not thank God for social media. That's okay. Whatever philosophy from the magazine aisle that we might choose, these can all be a great help, but they're not always able to provide the reassurance we need that no matter what, we're safe. We need not fear. It's going to be okay. But for every child of God, that's the truth. That is the case, and not just it's going to be okay, but so much more than that reality. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I got a comment on the qualification there the qualification of verse 17 is real. For those connected to Christ, alive in Him, it will mean suffering with Him. As we take up our cross and follow Him, the New Testament is just crystal clear about that. But as we are united to Christ in His sufferings, we are united to Him in His glory. In all that is His, we share. It's ours. It's coming. For the children of God, we are heirs. Victory over sickness. It's coming. It's ours. Restored bodies. As it is Christ's, so that blessing and that reality is ours. It's coming. Perfect peace and prosperity in a restored, created order. Freedom from conflict. Redeemed creation. Every tear wiped away. No more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. This is what is ours in Christ. Even God himself. That phrase, we are heirs of God, it doesn't just mean that we get to partake in and participate in and be blessed by the goodness of God and the blessings of God. It means that we get to know God himself. As Jesus exists in that perfect communion with his Father, so too we will be caught up in that beautiful reality, which is the greatest blessing of them all. You need not fear, brother, sister. Whether you're in a time of trial right now or whether you're preparing for one that may well come tomorrow, don't surrender to the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. How easy it is, right? Isn't it interesting the way Paul worded it? It doesn't take a lot of effort to fall back into something. This is what happens to us. We fall back into fear, but that's not the spirit. We've not received that spirit of slavery to fear. It's not who you are. It's not what God has given you. It's not the reality you can know now. By the spirit, know you're a child of God. Cry out to him as Jesus did, Abba, Father hear the Spirit testify in your heart, you're mine. You're mine. You're safe. And know that He does not hold back anything from His children. We're heirs. All that God wanted for this world to be, all that God gave to Christ is ours by His grace. What God Let's pray. So, Father, we just, in the quiet, we pray that by your Spirit, you would speak these realities to us, that you would testify to our Spirit that we are your children. us rest in that this morning this week help us not fall back into fear we're not sweeping anything under the carpet we're not minimizing the, the seriousness of plight that many are in but help us not fall back into fear help us stand secure in you and in who we are in you Spirit of God, open our lives to your work now in this time.